Support for this podcast comes from Planned Parenthood. It's hard to imagine a world where we leave future generations with fewer rights and freedoms. Since the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills aimed at blocking people from getting the essential sexual and reproductive care they need, including abortion. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves access to care. And with supporters like you, they can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future to learn more and support their cause. Up to see the groundhog? Yeah. I think it'll be an early spring. <laughs> Didn't we do this yesterday? I don't know what you mean. No. <laughs> don't mess with me, pork chop. <sighs> what day is this? It's February 2nd. Groundhog Day. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Writer's Block Podcast. Uh, I'm your one co-host, Brandon Laurie, as always, with Jess Navarez, my second uh, co-host. Kind of like a Batman and Batman situation. Nobody's a Robin here. Uh, you know, it feels like a Groundhog Day situation uh, for me. You know, the Cowboys lost to San Francisco last year in the playoffs, and it feels like we're back in the same situation this year. They lose to the 49ers in San Francisco 19-12. to it really is never fun when the season is over, but again, we will talk about some things that happened in the game. We'll answer maybe one or two big picture questions, but Jess, I do want to start with uh, admiring your strength as a commentator, uh, You know, somebody who talks about the Cowboys daily. This is now your third time hashing out this game in 24 hours. How do you feel about that? And, uh, you know, is, is it enough after this point? Is this it for you? Yeah, you know what? After this podcast, I'm not talking about this loss uh, again for the next few weeks. I mean, it, it comes with the job, so it's all good. I enjoy doing it even even through a loss. It's still something I enjoy doing. Um, it's obviously way more fun when they win, as we know. But, yeah, no, I am so ready to move on from this because – like you said, very Groundhog Day situation. And against San Francisco, and, and I guess what really gets me is there's almost a two-minute curse when it comes to San Francisco because the last two minutes always just leave you electrified in the worst ways when they lose like this because the time management, we can go through all of that later, but there was a moment, and I remember last season when it happened, when that game ended, the game stops, the clock goes to zero, and everybody was just kind of like, what just happened? Is the game over? Is that it? What happened? And then this season, a very similar thing with that last play. What was that? I mean, we will unpack that too, but uh, I just was stunned at what I saw. So yeah, I'm, I'm kind of over talking about it, but, but it is our job, Brandon. We love doing this and I am just glad that we get to talk about it and at least try to, I guess, have have this end on a good note uh, for the season. Even though our podcasts are going to keep going, talk about this game on a good note, and then we can move on to all the off-season topics like free agency and draft stuff. Yay. Uh, especially with the Cowboys having 
uh, 23 free agents that are on the list uh, that they might re-sign. Or... So, yeah, uh, it is a fun time when it gets to that, the draft as well. Uh, you brought up the parallel with the final play, and I do think that that's something I didn't even think about. You know, you have the botched snap last season you know, where the, where the referee got in the way, and then you have the strange alignment at the very end. But to me, the game, I said this to my dad when we were watching you know, family. We had a great, great night as, as a family. We were playing games, watching the game. So it was really good. It was it was a fun time for us on that end. But I, I told him, I said, the game was already lost on the drive before that, you know, when it, it didn't even need to get to the 50 seconds or whatever that was left on the clock. The Cowboys had the opportunity to go down and score a touchdown, tie the game with about three minutes or so on the clock, and then they go three and out. The first play is a near Dak interception, and Dak had two for the night. And immediately, as soon as he threw that first ball, I said, it doesn't feel like this is going to go in the right direction. And we've seen Cowboys games this season specifically go where Dak is great, specifically the Texans game in a final two-minute situation. Boom, 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 marches down the field, scores a touchdown, wins the game. Like, it's great. It's it's great when that happens. But for some reason in the playoffs, it doesn't translate. I know a lot of people have been talking about lack of consistency. And with this team, when you have mistakes in the playoffs, they're just amplified to like level 100. You know, it's like there's no following game to re- to try and adjust things the next week. And so I, I look at this game and I think, you know, we can start on the offensive side because I do think a lot of this starts with Dak. And whether the, the criticism is justified or not, I don't think that the level of criticism uh, is justified. There are a lot of extreme, very, you know, raw emotions right now going around about Dak and yes I do think that he put the team in a very difficult position is it all on him maybe 60 40 I think that you needed a little bit more out of the run game but I think Dak after playing like he did on Monday night against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and then to come back like he did on Sunday I think that was more of a shock for me on that contrast of play but that's also something that we've seen all season too yeah, I think the ghost of the Cowboys past is exactly what ended up being their defeating factor. It's every single thing that we've talked about all season that could be their downfall and their demise. And guess what happened? It was the inconsistencies, the miscommunications, the miscues, and just the overall game plan not being something that fits your offensive weapons, specifically Dak. You know when he is feeling that offensive game plan You saw it in Tampa Bay, that is Dak at his best. But then you also know when there's confusion, not just with him, but with your O-line, with your center specifically, with your your backs, your receivers, every every single person on that offense just looked confused again. And it really was comparable to almost the confusion from the Washington game. I think that one was a little worse, quite honestly. Um, because that was a, a game they should have won. Not saying that they should have won this one. But it shouldn't have gone down um, in the fashion that it did. So I just, yeah, I'm not for the Dak scrutiny and all of that because people seem to forget, well, okay, you you want Dak gone. What's your option? You have the 26th round draft pick this year. You're going to get a starting quarterback that's going to start next season, take you exactly where Dak took you. Uh in what in one season really that's that's your option that's your alternative or you trade for somebody I mean who you you want Tom Brady no thanks you want Derek Carr no I, I just I think a lot of fans put their fan hats on a little too much and then they look at things out of an emotional standpoint 
But that's why we're here, guys. We're here to have this little therapy session. We're here to vent it out a little bit so that we can be a little more realistic, take a step back and say, all right, here's what we have. Here's the likelihood of what's going to happen going forward. The only thing that worries me about this entire, entire season looking back was it was the offense was never consistent. And that was something we said week in, week out. Oh, they had a great game this week. Oh, not a great game the next week. Oh, look, more issues. Oh, that's fixed. Oh, no, we're back to it was such a teeter totter back and forth kind of situation with the offense. So to me, the offense is what lost you the game. So again, that's as a whole unit, not just a DAC situation. But yeah, they they deserve the criticism. Now, do they deserve the ugly scrutiny? Throwing your TVs, burning jerseys? Nah, y'all need to chill. That that is way too much. And it is I don't know. I don't know about you, Brandon. I have not wanted I have not wanted to log on Twitter the past twenty four hours. Have you I, I just I can't handle it right now. Yeah, it's a dangerous place. Uh, seeing a lot of things, and of course, it recycles a lot of takes from you know 24 hours ago. At this point, when you know we're kind of coming to the realization that the season is is almost over, and uh, I have to say, David Hellman, um, somebody that used to work at DallasCowboys.com, now at Fox Sports, he put out uh, an article of saying that you know it's okay to have a quarterback that might be in your second tier of quarterbacks not to the elite Patrick Mahomes not at a Justin Herbert level not at a Trevor Lawrence like he is that in that maybe 8 to 10 range but that's okay like if he's a quarterback that needs help that's okay it's just it then it's on the front office it's on the team player personnel to put players around him to make him better. And that's a good thing. You know, you want to have a quarterback that's able to help you win games, first and foremost. And Dak will help the Cowboys win games. He's done it for, like, the second half of the season when he was healthy. But he's also somebody that you can't, I think, rely on too much because I think there's just a little bit more pressure that comes uh, on his plate and he can't see the field well. I know I was talking about that in the Twitter spaces, how it just didn't look from – the first quarter on like he wasn't reading the field properly and again you play the the people in front of you the San Francisco 49ers have the number one defense in the NFL like hats off to them for scheming up a great plan D'Amico Ryans all of those guys uh Fred Warner too an elite linebacker I always liked him as a player didn't realize how great he was uh so again you know you play these types of players they are still there to play and win the game it's not like it's just Dallas trying to win the game so I think with Dak he needs just a little bit more help and that is a perfectly fine thing to admit I understand the price tag that people have been talking about you can't trade that you can't move on from that the only thing you can do is try and change the the surrounding cast around him and I know again free agent wise there are a lot of moving parts in that area some people might be going staying you know that's all off-season talk but the next one I want to get to, kind of talking about that as well, is the Ezekiel Elliott, Tony Pollard thing. And we know P- Tony Pollard went down uh, with a high ankle sprain and broken fibula, I believe, you know, out around three months timeline-wise. So nothing terrible and where it's going to be lingering into next season if he's back. But now there's the conversation of, okay, who do you keep? Because Zeke has an opt-out in his contract where you can release him, you know, save some money, or, you know, you can franchise tag Tony, sign him, or keep both guys potentially just like what are you thinking with regards to that because I have a personal opinion on it I think it's changed a little bit but uh, I want to hear yours first yeah I I've been I've been sitting on this because here's the thing I'm all for this one-two punch it works when it works I think what a lot of people have failed to realize about Zeke this season is you're dealing with 
a very similar situation to what you were last season was he has been battling a knee injury. Sure. He's not popping up on the injury reports because it's not a serious injury, but it's something that's a soreness on his knee that he has felt the need to continue to wear a brace for, for the past, what, two, three months at this point. So yeah, his product, her, his production is lower again, because of an, another injury. This is not the same injury from last season. I want to make that very clear. But that's what happens when you have such a physical back like Zeke. He is to the point where he's getting older, which is so weird to say because I, I think football age is just such a weird concept. Well, and how but, Dak was the oldest quarterback in the playoffs. Like, we're at that point so now. Weird. Yeah. That's so weird. It's absolutely wild to me. But, um, yeah, he, he's getting older. He's getting more beaten up. And, and you know, people are going to call him injury prone, which is not what I – would call it I, I call it being a physical back and that Zeke style of play but if it's up to me it's it's hard it's hard I I question now after this injury what Tony Pollard is going to look like I mean it's an ankle injury and guess what backs need they need their ankles to be able to run I question how he's going to come out of that. And, you know, with the Cowboys training staff, we know they do a phenomenal job at rehabbing players, not just for the short short term, but their long term, um, you know, post football and all of that. So I'll give them their kudos there. But I just don't know. I I mean, to answer question, Brent, I don't know. I I don't know if if there's a way you can keep both, maybe cut some of that money for Zeke uh, or from Zeke to give to TP, because like you said, there is a lot of free agents that we also have to keep an eye on. Leighton Vanderesh, somebody who I can see even being franchise tagged. You don't want to lose him on the defensive side of things, but uh, you know you also have Donovan Wilson and and the defense. A lot of defensive threats that you have to worry um, about losing throughout the season. So I don't know. I if I had to make a choice right now, life or death, you're telling me make one. It's it's so hard, but I would say you got to probably keep Tony Pollard in that situation. And I'm nothing against Zeke. It's a business. He knows that. But again, maybe, maybe it's time Cowboys look into that option. See, see what could come about it with a younger guy like Malik Davis, Rico, Rico Dowdle, um, some of the younger players, because, you know, running backs do age quickly. They wear quickly. That's just the nature of the position because it's so physical. But I, you look at the productivity from the season and based on strictly that, I would have to go Tony Pollard. But again, I don't want to go with just one. I want to keep that one-two punch going and thriving. I know. And that's the hard part for me is it's the fandom that wants me to keep Zeke around, like keep Zeke the player. Like this is a guy who came into the league in 2016 and was phenomenal. Him and Dak have been together. Like I can't see Zeke without Dak and Dak without Zeke. And if that's a real world that's going to be happening in 2023, it just feels like, okay, that window of Dak and Zeke together is now gone. You know, that that it's I thought that there would have been with a back like Zeke some sort of championship, whether it was NFC championship or a Super Bowl, kind of in that window. And unfortunately it never happened. And now there were some things that kind of kept Zeke off the field and also injuries to Dak. So all that plays a factor where it just didn't seem like that the past few years one was on the field with the other, it was like one's on the field, the one's injured or the one's on the field and the other's injured. So it is a shame. Like you said, Jess, at the end of the day, it is a business. Everybody understands that. It seemed like in the post game, Zeke is like, I don't have a crystal ball, but I, I would love to stay here and be here. So listen, 
Demarcus Lawrence did something similar last season where he cut his salary, resigned a new contract, and you know gave the Cowboys an opportunity to try and go after Randy Gregory or somebody else, you know, to because he knows as a player on the defense that it's the the collective, not just Lawrence as an individual, that makes the entire team better. So if Zeke knows that if he can take a pay cut and get Tony Pollard back in the building and still have the two of them, maybe you draft a younger guy. Great, yeah, everybody's happy. So I do think that that's probably option A. But if it is a scenario where they need to sign other guys like a Donovan Wilson, Leighton Vander Esch, and they can kind of cut Zeke, I think that is a real possibility um, that it could it, we that we can live in that world. And it's a world I don't want to think about right now, but it is a reality that we might have to come um, to a conclusion for. The other free agent, a guy that struggled a little bit. Uh, he was great last week. He was scored the only touchdown um, this week. Dalton Schultz. I think that there were a lot of moments where it was great. And then all of a sudden, towards the tail end of the game, there was an incomplete pass you know, on the sideline where it just went over his head. Maybe should have come down with it. But I think it was like the final minute or so of the game where he had the uh, force out of bounds, but he's going backwards. So the clock keeps running, doesn't drag his foot at the end. And then the Cowboys have to do that wacky play. Like I said, at that point, the game's already lost. But when you kind of have those big moments in a playoff game and it's kind of mental mistakes, again, love Dalton Schultz as the player. Uh, but when you look at those things in a playoff situation, just didn't get it done. You know, for me, it's it's a tip for tap with Dalton Schultz because, yes, his productivity has skyrocketed throughout the season. He's become that clutch guy for Dak, and we've seen that. But you also have such a good young tight end room that makes it so hard for me to – confidently say it's the best choice to try to keep him when you have guys like Jake Ferguson, Peyton Hendershot, uh, Sean McEwen, who can step up and step into that role and still be productive within that same kind of, you know, tight end one role, whether it's uh, Jake or, or Peyton or Sean, who who has to step, step up to do that. They're more than capable. You have three options to take that. So, I don't know. I think Dalton Schultz had a good uh, good case throughout the offseason to work a, a long-term deal, but I don't think anybody expected that tight end room to be as packed as it actually ended up being for the Cowboys. Now, how they're utilized, that's a bit of a different story, but it is still a packed room, and I think it's going to be a little harder for him to plead his case to why the Cowboys front office should keep him around. To be honest, I would be surprised if we see Dalton Schultz back in the Cowboys uniform next season, just based on how packed that room is already. I, it's hard. It's hard for me to justify it, no matter how productive he's been. And again, that gives him leverage to go somewhere else and say, Hey, look, I'm that guy. I'm good enough to be here. And if that's what he needs to do out of the Cowboys this season, then go, uh, go ahead, do what you got to do. It's a business, but I feel, I feel confident in the tight end room enough to say that if we lost Dalton Schultz in free agency, We'd be fine. And like, like I said, I thought he was great down the stretch. You know, previous three seasons, you know, started three years ago, and then he's built on it. You know, injuries kind of hobbled him a little bit, but he's been Dak's go-to guy. He was great last week. But when you look at it, I think the argument comes down to Tony Pollard or Dalton Schultz. I think that's kind of what it's always been on the offensive side. You know, again, they have a lot of free agents, and you kind of have to start playing a debate game of, okay, we can keep one of these two guys. Who are you going to pick? And then you kind of narrow that 23 to maybe 12 or 13 names. Um, and I do think that if the Cowboys had to choose, I understand Tony Pollard is an explosive guy. I also love Dalton Schultz and what he brings in the security for Dak. But I do think that price tag wise, due to the injury for Tony Pollard, 
I, I think that creates an opportunity for Tony Pollard's price tag to be lowered a little bit more and for Dalton Schultz to, you know, move on, um, get money elsewhere. Uh, again, he's a great tight end, developed really well in Dallas, but I do think that it's kind of more of a, of a business decision there. But on a positive note, I think we can both agree that CeeDee Lamb has solidified himself as clear number one. He's the he's the goat. He's a lamb, but he's also a goat. Um, I I loved what I saw from him. We were begging after last year's playoff loss for Kellen Moore to get him involved in the passing game. Dak and him were in sync for the majority of the game, but that deep shot that Dak threw to him and he's catching it over his shoulder, falling to the ground, not to mention with a broken pinky or whatever he was dealing with too, had his fingers taped up. CeeDee Lamb has proven to me this season that he is the dude and he will be getting a big paycheck uh, in the very near future. I don't know if my mic was muted. You can hear Wit crying. He's crying because, um, yeah, it's a shame we don't get to see more of him in this postseason because it was absolutely incredible to watch postseason CeeDee for the time that we did. Um, just his progression over the season and, and all of the doubt that they came around him being wide receiver one. Teams have to respect him now. And that's the best part of seeing all of this is they're preparing specifically for CD with the triple coverage, double coverage, with whatever play they're calling CD's covered. But the thing is, is you have that trust in him now to know he's going to make the play. Whether he has three guys on him, whether he has nine fingers, he's making that play. And that is what I respect CD for so, so much. It's just, you, you know, what gets me about this game specifically is yes, we wanted to see CD give me all of that injected in my veins. I want to see it all day, every day. CD Lamb show. However, where were the rest of the wide receivers? That's like, what I was going to ask you next. MIA ghost. Um, have no idea. I, it's just, yeah, we'll, we'll get into that. But as far as CD goes, I'm so proud of him. I, I just remember we were talking Gosh, it feels like week one was so long ago, but we were talking about in week one, and I don't know, we're a little nervous. I will happily eat crow and say that CD has become wide receiver one, deserves all the respect, and good for him. How do you feel about CD? And specifically, that nine-finger catch, because that was that was beautiful. Uh, I thought it was awesome, and like you said, just the growth that we've seen. You know, of course, Amari Cooper, the, the front office, made the decision to you know let go of Amari Cooper and basically open up the door for CeeDee Lamb to be that guy, and I think the one thing that I will look back at 2022 and remember is with the all the Odell talk, which I can't believe was still a thing. Like When I look at where the season ended up, it's, it's crazy to think that that was even a, a thing, but he took that on his shoulder and said, all right, you know, if you guys want to bring somebody else in, totally get it. I'm for it, but watch this, you know, and he took off after that. He had that great game against Green Bay, you know, the second game against the Giants, you know, was better than the first one. So there were so many things down the stretch that I will remember CD basically taking the baton and running with it and saying, okay, you know, this, I'm going to become a pro bowler, all pro, you know, by the end of the year. And you guys aren't even going to realize it, you know, and that's the thing, like, the first half of the year was good, but the ending was great. And and I appreciate him and how he handled all that. Because, again, it's a very difficult situation when the outside noise starts going into the locker room saying, oh, this guy's going to be coming in. Oh, the front office wants to sign him. The head coach has talked about it. How do you feel? And he took it and said, yeah, I'm, I'm here for it. You know, whether he felt that way personally, but he never let his emotions get the best of him and he used it to his advantage. Now, on the flip side, you brought up the other skill positions, and I do think that a big turning point in this game was that drive where Tony Pollard gets injured. 
uh, and then Dak throws the interception, you lose points and you're not able to score before halftime, which has been the, the, the Cowboys' biggest problem of 2022. But Michael Gallup has disappeared for this season. I understand, again, we've talked about it on here on the roundtable that he is coming off of injury. Maybe that's still playing a factor of him just trying to get loose again, feel confident. But he did not show up in the playoffs at all and then even somebody like a T.Y. Hilton I thought would have had a little bit more of an influence on the offense a little bit more of an impact and I don't think we've seen highlights of T.Y. down the stretch of him being a really good receiver I just think it may have been Dak not looking in his direction maybe not trusting him towards the tail end or maybe the offense not using him as much so those are two guys I kind of circle Noah Brown was a great story early in the year um, but I think when you brought T.Y. in, like he needs to be on the field more. I don't want to see throws to Noah Brown in a playoff situation. I think T.Y. will be better uh, in that scenario. And specifically also that Dak throw to C.D. Lamb, where I think it was talked all about on social media, where he didn't look in T.Y. Hilton's uh, direction and it could have been a touchdown. And it's like it's very ticky tack. And I do feel like that's on Dak to see that you know, in that situation, but you could tell Dak from, from snap to, you know, it, to his hands, he's looking CD the whole entire way. Like he trusts that guy. Um, so yeah, those are the two guys I thought would have stepped up a little bit more, especially in this situation. And they just kind of disappeared. I guess T.Y. Hilton really became the ghost uh, in this game. Uh, not the kind we wanted to no. see. Absolutely not. But you're right. He definitely, he, uh, he was non-existent. He wasn't there. And you know, what I've been thinking about as far as T.Y. not really having the involvement that we were expecting is Dak didn't have the time to establish the chemistry with him. And keep in mind, when it comes to the Dak timeline that you look at through the course of this season, it's a bit different because he was out for injury. He didn't have time to establish that early with CD. That's kind of why, you know, you saw that CD spark later on towards the Green Bay game. But he Dak didn't have time to establish that chemistry with T.Y. Sure, T.Y. got in there, spent, what, 20 hours studying the playbook and then went in and, and was making an impact uh, his, his first game in and uh, at AT&T Stadium. I will never forget T.Y. making that catch on Christmas Day. Oh, my goodness. That was – or Christmas Eve. That was insane. But, again, I just think this is an offense that – there's so many layers to it. Like not to quote Shrek or anything, but this Cowboys offense is like an onion. It really is. There's so many layers to this. This goes back to the cohesiveness in it overall. One, Dak doesn't trust all of his guys. Why? Is there miscues? Is there miscommunications? Just lack of chemistry? Do they need to work on that on the on, you know the off season? They have plenty of time now to, to hang out and, and work on that chemistry. Or two, is it really just the game plan not fitting the strengths that you have within it. And that's something that I've questioned all season is do you have a consistent enough game plan that yes, we know you have to change the game plan based on your opponent and their strengths. It's not just as simple as, all right, here's our game plan. And that's what it is for the rest of the season. No, we know that's not the case, but what we didn't see is the consistency within the game plan to play up on either DAC strengths sometimes uh, Michael Gallup strengths, your tight end room. I mean, when that run is not established first, and we go back to this all the time, when you don't establish your run first and you're forcing Dak to make these passes, he's going to go for his his go-to guys, Dalton Schultz, CeeDee Lamb, and that's about it. Maybe Tony Pollard, maybe, maybe. But 
what was interesting to watch during this game specifically was, you know, you brought this up on Twitter. As soon as Tony Pollard was out of that game, it was like everything started to unravel completely. The run game, abandoned. The pass game, oh, what? <laughs> three and out or interception. I mean, it's just, it's absolutely insane to me how in their head this offense looks when the game plan is not something that fits them because it, it, you go back and you watch and it's just basic things that they should be doing that they're not. And I don't understand how to fix that. I don't even know where to start to fix that. Support for this podcast comes from Planned Parenthood. Your body is your own. That's why Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Today, lawmakers who oppose abortion are challenging Planned Parenthood. Affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. Planned Parenthood believes that health care is a basic human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies. They also work tirelessly to oppose the onslaught of new policies aimed at interfering with personal decisions best left to patients and their doctors. They won't give up and they won't back down. You can join Planned Parenthood in the fight to help make sure that the next generation can decide their own futures. The organization needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, they can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future to learn more and support their cause. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think the offensive line is something we can get into in the offseason. You know, when we start talking about uh, recapping our top 10 list, I think a couple guys will appear on that. And, you know, what is it going to look like with maybe bringing somebody like a Terrence Steele back? You, do you keep Tyron Smith? We'll save that discussion for that. I do want to switch over to the defense because I think that you mentioned it at the top. The offense lost the game. The defense played an absolute fantastic game. They were gassed out by the, the by the third quarter, the fourth quarter, when the 49ers were just running the ball. I, I don't pin that on them at all. That, to me, is just you've been on the field the majority of the day. The offense isn't doing you any favors. It's going to be tough in that situation. But, my God, J. Ron Curse has been an absolute blast to not only watch but to hear in the locker room. He's he's honestly been, and I, I wanted to bring this up on the roundtable on Thursday, I, I think Micah Parsons is the best player on this defense. No question, without a doubt. To me, the MVP is J. Ron Curse. I think that when you look at what MVP stands for as valuable player, he is so valuable not only to be a Swiss Army knife as a player, but he's a coach on the sideline. You know, he's an extension of Dan Quinn pretty much. Like him and Dan Quinn are in lockstep with a lot of things. And I think with, with Dan Quinn being in the booth, you know, above the Cowboys, it's like he needs to rely on somebody to convey that message, to convey that tone. And J. Ron has been that guy for the previous two seasons. He was playing with so many injuries. I saw a list of something. I, I think it was either Jane Slater or somebody tweeted like he's going to be getting shoulder surgery. He's been dealing with something all year with that. And I'm like, 
what is this guy doing? Like, he's an absolute warrior. And I just, I do think that I want to give him so much credit for being the type of player that he was all season. And it, it just sucks when this game ends because a guy like that has laid literally everything out on the field. And something I love about Jaron is he walks his walk and he talks his talk yeah. just the same. He's somebody that's going to go out there and he's going to deliver his promise to you. He's going to say, hey, I didn't have the best game, but now I'm going to come back and just watch what I do next week. And what does he do? He delivers on it. And I think in this world of football, a lot of players forget um, how much of a, I don't know, how much fans cling on to those kind of things and how much the outside world is like, oh, you promised us something? Oh, okay, we're going to we're gonna hold you to it. But he does every time. And J-Ron's somebody who... I was lucky enough to talk to in the locker room almost every time I was in there because he wanted to talk to you. He wanted to, you know, just talk everything, football, life, and not short to the point conversations. It was in detail. And, you know, something that I like to do when I talk to them is, hey, I'm seeing this. Am I understanding it right? Can you explain it to me better and what you're seeing from your point of view? Oh yeah, sure. Take a seat. Let's go over it. I mean, he's, he's one of those guys that he makes the time that you have with him just so valuable. So yeah, most valuable player, hands down J Ron. I'm, I'm so excited to see him back on the field. I know we are like barely 24 hours and when we're recording this, Cowboys football less and we're in this offseason but dang he's somebody I can't wait to see back because what a jump he's had this season despite injuries and, and all of that that's something I had asked him what's something you're the most proud of yourself for throughout the course of the season he said sticking with it always being available overcoming injuries and and you know just pushing myself and my teammates what a good guy well I and, just can't handle that and you bring up a great point of you know him being here next season I think that if Dan Quinn you know, finds another position, gets a head coaching position. I think the defensive coordinator that that comes in next, if it is somebody else, is going to rely on somebody like J-Ron to know that he has a lot of skin on the walls right now with regards to the system. He's familiar with a lot of things. He can relay a lot of stuff to the defensive coordinator. I think he's going to also be a, a, a huge um, factor in that realm if things were supposed to are going to change. Um, I hope they don't. You know, we're going to get into that later. Uh, but another duo, I do think that for what the pass rush was down the stretch of the season, how it didn't really show up. The 49ers put the Cowboys in position where they weren't able to rush towards the end of the game. But in the beginning, the first two quarters, Demarcus Lawrence turning back the clock, Micah Parsons being an all-pro player, he threw a tackle, picked him up, and just launched him and got to the quarterback You know, to impact the play. I mean, this guy is so special. Demarcus Lawrence played an absolute great game. Um, and again, it's just a shame because these guys were playing so well throughout the, the 60 minutes. And if the offense just performed just a little bit more, then you put pressure on the 49ers offense to pass more instead of run. And maybe you have those two guys put Brock Purdy in a position where he's throwing interceptions, fumbles. You know, it's like they weren't able to do that towards the end of the game. And again, it's a shame. But those are two guys that just played out of their minds. Absolutely. And something about Tank is he's talked about since day one, the bad taste that last year's uh, playoff loss left in his mouth. And he used that as fuel to, to his fire all season. And I think you saw it. I think you saw a reemergence of Tank throughout the rest or throughout the duration of this season. Um, and I respect him so, so much for that. 
overall, the defense just deserved better. They deserved better in this game from the offense. They deserved, um, you know, a full cylinder performance by the offense because they were doing everything. They were giving everything. Every play had intention. And what's scary is you look at the free agency list. There's a lot of defensive guys on there that you need that have been impact makers throughout the entire season. And not only that, but you just brought it up. Dan Quinn, that question still looms. Will we see Dan Quinn still in Dallas throughout the season next year? I don't know. I I don't know. And I, to me, last season when we were having this offseason conversation, I felt like we were lucky enough to walk away with him then. Now I'm just counting my lucky stars. I am doing every kind of good luck ritual I have because at this point, I don't know what I can do for myself if the Cowboys somehow manage to fumble the bag with Dan Quinn. I don't know how I'm going to handle myself. This offseason is going to be long enough. Imagine how much longer that would make it feel. No, sir. Not me. I'm good. Uh, I'm good. Another guy that might go with Dan Quinn if he decides to leave, we brought him up earlier, Leighton Vander Esch. Again, a great game. I thought that this is the type of game where he would show up because of the the style of play that the 49ers like to play, where they're very run heavy, very power run heavy, and he had a great game. You know, he did all of all that he could, and again, towards the tail end, starting to get a little more exhausted. I don't pin that on him with any missed tackles or anything like that. At the beginning, he was setting the tone very early on. When you hold Christian McCaffrey, I think I was looking at it earlier. He had uh, was it 35 yards rushing. And Elijah Mitchell had 51, but a lot of that court came towards the tail end. And Debo Samuel had 11 yards rushing. I mean, that if if you told me that on Friday or Saturday, like, hey, you know, Brandon, tomorrow the Cowboys are going to hold McCaffrey and Debo Samuel, who are these running back gadget players, to like under 50 yards rushing. How do you feel about that? What is the outcome of the game? I was like, how much are the Cowboys winning by? Because like the, the 49ers aren't going to be able to score. When you're forcing Purdy to throw the ball, he's going to throw maybe two interceptions. That wasn't the case, and that's what we were talking about of this excellent performance by the defense just wasted, it felt like. And Van Der Esch was a big part of that, and I, I was happy to see he was able to come back be an impact player last week, be an impact player this week. But that's, again, another guy that we might not see on the defense next season. He's somebody that I think if a franchise tag is a possibility, he's up there. He's probably top three, I would say, Um, you know, between Donovan Wilson, him, and then Tony Pollard. I would say those are your three highest chance guys to end up with that franchise tag. Um but the only time will tell. I we don't know yet. That's that is a further down the road offseason conversation. As far as Leighton Vanderesh, though, you're talking about a guy that came off of injury and during that Tampa game didn't miss a step, played all his snaps, didn't look like he had been injured at any point of the season. I can't even imagine what his productivity and his numbers would have looked like at the end of the regular season had he not gotten injured. Because he was on track, when you go back and look, he was on track to tie things up, if not exceed his rookie season numbers. And that is insane to me. And people just do not give him enough credit, especially when it comes to this 49ers offense, Christian McCaffrey, and their yak ability, because the point of focus throughout this entire week was the yards after catch that this team could get and they were good at it top the league in making sure that you need to tackle your guys which was a point of emphasis earlier in the season for the defense that really had some loose ends there 
glad to see it got fixed for the season um, and ending game. Uh, unfortunately, I'm very sad about it. Brandon, I'm so sad about that today. But I will also say the fact that Leighton Vanderish went out there and was playing so physical, wrapping around, tackling, he was flying all over the place. Where was Leighton Vanderesh not during this game? I mean, he was flying, and uh, I, I don't know about you. I take notes during the game of, you know, what's going on specifically for each play and, and drive by drive. It's like, okay, Christian McCaffrey run, four yards, LVE stop. I mean, every note I had was LVE stop, LVE block, LVE, like – what is this guy not capable of? And that to me, again, goes back to, he's completely bought into this Dan Quinn scheme. So like you said, definitely in jeopardy there of potentially losing somebody like LVE if Dan Quinn leaves, because he said time and time again, Dan is my guy. And and it shows, it shows when a player is so bought into the scheme and Clayton is a perfect example of that, especially when you look at his, his numbers and how his rookie season Layton. Uh, numbers were so high. You see a drop off and then you see this season. I just, oh, I only wish that injury hadn't happened because we would really know how close he was to that rookie year and just that productivity. Final position group. Uh, do you want to start with the good or the bad for special teams? I'll let you decide. Let's start with the bad. Let's start okay. with the bad, get it out of the way. So yeah. the bad is, of course, uh, Brett Maher. And I say that in the sense where the uh, expectation coming into this game was that he would be better with regards to his kicks. He was great in practice. And I know I can't, I, I, I think if we go back in, in time, are talking about the offense, defense, and special teams. We probably spent a lot more time on special teams than anything else on this podcast. Rightfully so. It's been great all year for the most part. But Brett was great in practice. Didn't really translate on the first kick in the game. It was blocked. But, I mean, if you look at back at the replay, that thing wasn't going to be even close uh, to, to being uh, a successful uh, field goal. So he did make a few down the stretch, and I think that that was good to see. But I think that that missed extra point kind of was a ripple effect for the rest of the, the, the game where when the Cowboys were driving on that Tony Pollard injury drive, instead of kicking the field goal where it was like 50 yards or so, Mike McCarthy decides to go for it on fourth down. They convert, and on the very next play, Tony Pollard gets injured. On the very next play after that, Dak throws the interception. So I, I think that you have a ripple effect of, okay, if you were having – if you had that extra point, do you go for three, and then now the game's a little bit different. You know, you still get points before halftime – and you don't throw the interception, you don't lose your star player. So I know that's a big if, uh, but again, Brett Maher is also somebody that is a free agent that not sure if he's going to come back. Does this change down the stretch? And again, I know we've talked about it, how we don't want to go through the cycle of kickers, bringing in guys from the draft or free agency, just bringing people off the street. But you kind of think about how Brett Maher ended the season and that's sort of the lasting impression that we have. Does that change your opinion on whether you should be back or not next season? Not mine, but I think if you're the Cowboys front office, it does because you need somebody who's reliable and not putting your team in the position that they were in to feel like they had to keep going for those fourth down conversions. And what's interesting about all of that, and and it's another what if scenario, I feel like uh, we're in the multiverse of scenarios here with that specific drive, because you look at it, if they would have scored a touchdown in that drive, you also would have had the deciding factor of, are you going for the extra point again, which was blocked the first time, or are you going for the two point conversion from then on? I think you see the Cowboys stick to whatever decision is made there, because if you keep going for the extra points, he keeps missing at some point. Yes. You have to pull him off and say, that's it. You're done enough chances. We can't afford to lose any more points. 
or you keep going for the two, the two point conversions, because at that point you're already getting in his head more and you can't, you, you can't come back from that decision. So it would have been interesting to see what the Cowboys decided to do specifically if they would have scored that touchdown and, you know, things hadn't fallen like they did with, with that drive being the Tony Pollard injury and then the Dak interception. But for me, it doesn't change my opinion for the Cowboys front office from a business standpoint. It probably does because kickers, you know, they're a very special kind of position, but they're also more available than most other positions are. And you saw that when you had that newer signing come in as kind of competition, push Brett to start making his kicks or, or else, you know, um, yeah, I I don't see Brett Maher getting resigned. I think had he had a perfect postseason, yeah, it wouldn't have been a question for the Cowboys front office. I think now that's the lasting impression that you have is you're inconsistent when it matters. And it's it's sad because he had a very productive season and it's almost comparable to, you know, the offense. You look at the Cowboys offense, we're saying the same thing is you're inconsistent when it mattered. But the difference is, is that Brett Maher was consistent throughout the entire regular season. Your offense never was. So it's, it's hard to say because, you know, what's going to happen with the offense? What repercussions do you get out of that inconsistency throughout the season from the Cowboys front office come free agency and all of that? Brett Maher just being a kicker, which is a little bit more of a disposable position, if you will, kind of gets to the brunt end of it of, hey, you weren't perfect for – two games out of this entire season, but guess what? They were the two most important games. So I don't, I don't think we'll see Brett Maher back as much as I want him to come back. I don't see it happening. I'm confident. I'm more confident than you are. I think, uh, I say it with like a little asterisk, uh, of, I just want to be able to go back to the tape and say, I'm confident in him coming back and hold that against you. Uh, but I, I think that with Brett Maher, Maher, if he comes back on a one year, maybe $2 million deal, something very small, like vet minimum, and then you draft a guy or you bring in a young guy or somebody else in competition, and then you have a kicking battle in training camp and whoever wins, they're your kicker. You know, you have somebody again, like you said, there's a rotation of guys. Um, we've seen it throughout the season. We've seen it in the past, you know, when Bra- Brett Maher was struggling, Kai Forbath comes in and is great down the stretch for the Cowboys. And that was somebody that they brought in towards the end of the season. So kickers are all over the place, but I do think that if fossil is here and can work with Brett, you know, kind of change things up a little bit. Um, maybe he sticks around vet minimum, bring him back. But a guy that's going to be back here for the next few years is somebody like a Cavante Turpin. And I thought that he had uh, uh, his best game of the season. And I know a lot of people on Twitter are saying that, he, oh, maybe he should have gone in one direction on a kickoff for terms. Oh, he should have gone for a touchdown. If the Cowboys scored on those drives and took advantage of the field position, we wouldn't be talking about that. But because of the Cowboys not scoring, it's an issue. And to me, that's not that is nothing to do with Cavante. Again, this is somebody who's been playing two football seasons. He's done almost a full calendar year of football, which is insane, by the way. And he deserves a lot of credit, especially for his size and everything. But I look at it as he gave the Cowboys great field position, not once, not twice, but three times, and did re- really, really well. Now there was the one point at the end where he has a fair catch at the six-yard line. You know, Maybe he should have let it go, see if it would be a touchback at, when it's that point in the game. But again, like I said before, the game was already lost at that point, you know, when, when that happens. So 
I know he's been your guy all season. Uh, he's been a fan favorite for me, and I just I love his story. I'm happy that he's going to be with the team uh, next year, unless there's a surprise cut. I don't think that'll happen. Um, but just thinking about his potential moving forward after this being our lasting impression of him, you have to be excited to see how he develops into the next season. Something I talked about on Girls Talk, Boys Talk with Cavante is I think people have these ridiculous standards set for a punt returner given the the preseason that he had. Because in, in what other year did everybody sit there with every punt return that your punt returner have say, oh, he's going to take one back. This is it. This is it. What season can you ever remember that being the case? I think it was a ridiculous set of standards, rightfully so, uh, off of the preseason and and all of the success he had there. But also, you know, when talking to him, he said, yeah, I've been playing basically two years of ball this entire last couple of years. So it's, it's, yeah, one calendar year, but then you also look at the training he did before that year. So this man's been going, 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 working, working, working. And people forget to give him that space to say he's still technically a rookie in this league to be able to diagnose and, I guess, process decision-making quickly when it comes to that punt returning position. It's not as easy as y'all think it is. I mean, people seem to forget that these guys are wearing helmets and your vision is not as clear as they like to think that, that it is from a camera angle and a TV angle that we get being up above the field. So to that, I just want to say fans, y'all take yourself back. Sometimes it's, it's such a good position to be in, to have somebody like Cavante Turpin in that returner position, because when have you ever been lucky enough to be confident that you have a guy that every single time he gets the ball, you're like, Oh, this is going to be it. This is going to be it. When have you ever had that luxury as a Cowboys fan? The last guy I can remember having kind of that that amount of confidence in Jesse Holly. That's the last guy I can yeah, that, say I remember for a fact. I know Ryan Switzer took one back, you know, uh, for a touchdown. Uh, you mentioned the word. Uh, I always think of Lucky Whitehead as like again the polar opposite of expectations, where like Cavante actually had the hype and he had the production to you know you know show it on the field. But Lucky Whitehead was more or less just like, oh, like it's a lot of potential and it never amounted to anything. But uh, with Cavante being here next season, depending on what happens at the offensive coordinator position, that's sort of how we'll wrap this up. I don't know if Kellen Moore, Dan Quinn, Mike, I do think if, if you had to pick, I'll let you start first. Kellen Moore, Dan Quinn, Mike McCarthy, if you had to rank on your confidence level of them being here, like one, two and three. And I know two and three, you can kind of adjust um what what would that order look like all right number one is solidified mike mccarthy he's not going anywhere he has had very successful back-to-back seasons for his first couple of years of coaching and not only that starting his coaching tenure with the cowboys during the COVID year so people seem to forget that he has had so much success in the last couple of years he will be going into his third season and you know to me that's when you start having those conversations if you want to be productive with it of, Hey, if we're not getting past a certain point in the playoffs, maybe that's a conversation we have, but these last couple of years, are you kidding me? Mike McCarthy is breaking his, he's remaking these history book analogies that everybody likes to talk about of, Oh, 27 years ago was the last time the Cowboys did this, 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 guess what? Mike McCarthy did it. And nobody wants to give him credit for that. So number one, I'm confident Mike McCarthy is not going anywhere next season. I'll be hopeful for a second. 
I'm going to live in my fantasy land for, for a minute and say number two is Dan Quinn because they see his value and Jerry did it before of keeping him around somehow, some way. I'm going to try to be very confident that Jerry Jones and that Cowboys front office still continue to see that value in Dan Quinn and do whatever they need to do to keep him around again. And not only that, but you have two years of this Dan Quinn era that he has built and he has grown within this Cowboys defense. I'm just being hopeful and wishful and thinking that that would be enough for him to stay given the success that this defense not only had last year, but continued to grow on and became even more successful the second year. I just really hope that the Cowboys do everything they can to keep Dan Quinn where he is. Please, like, please, I, I cannot beg y'all enough. Number three, um, I, I know my two and three should probably be switched. I know that realistically, I'm going with my hopeful choices here. Kellen Moore, and I go back to, you saw, for the most part, consistency, whether it be good or bad with the Cowboys defense throughout the the entirety of the season. You saw them consistently needing to work on run defense a little bit more. You saw them consistently being a good pass rush kind of defense. But what you didn't see out of the offense is consistency with anything. You never saw one shred of consistency other than the inconsistencies. And to me, if you're having your exit interviews, you're looking around at the bigger picture, he's the guy that you kind of go back to and say, hey, the players are only as productive as their coaching. What the hell was going on? And the offense was the reason you lost this game. Why? Why? Why do you go back to week 18 and you have that kind of loss to the commanders? You know, you, you go back and you assess the losses, whether it be a close one or ugh, a burn the tape one like Washington. But you go back and you assess what the issues were. You address them. But I really hope at some point the Cowboys front office can look back at the offense as a whole throughout the entirety of the season and say, you know, it's just not matching the rest of the team. It's just, it's not at the same level as the defense. And in order for you to win, it's going to have to get there somehow. And what does that start with? For me, your OC, that's his job. It's not Mike McCarthy's job. Um, it, or his, his coaching style, I should say rather to step in, and take over Kellen Moore's job because that's what he said. He likes to delegate and kind of give out, you know, priority and, and job management to his respected coaches doesn't overstep. So that's Kellen's job when you're looking at a Mike McCarthy coaching style. So yeah, that's my rankings. That's my hopeful rankings. Brandon, what about you? I, I agree in the sense where I do think Mike McCarthy at the top, no question. He is back. You do back to back. Uh, 12 win seasons you win uh, you break the curse of the road playoff game you know that you haven't won in, in a few decades you know you get that under your belt um, and I think that he just he's building something here and you can see it with Dan Quinn I think I would say he's third only because I do think he's gonna more than likely get a head coaching position I do think Denver is something to circle with regards to he was in a high consideration last season. I think that he's in high consideration this season, and there are a lot of guys on that defense that he would love to work with, i.e. specifically Randy Gregory is somebody that he really wanted to work with when he got here to Dallas anyway, So, and he's on that team. Um, you also have an all-pro corner in Patrick Sertan, Justin Simmons, all those guys. Um, Kellen Moore I put at two, but it's almost like 
two two or three a three b like there's really no two in this situation um if I had to pick one being back, I would say Callum Moore just because maybe Mike McCarthy wants consistency. He wants Dak to be in the same system. That's the whole reason why he kept Callum Moore on his coaching staff. He said, I want to make sure that the quarterback has a consistent uh, understanding of what the offense is supposed to be. I don't want to disrupt his growth and development. But you mentioned the level of consistency with Callum Moore. It's, I'm looking at it and just thinking about it right now. There have been like the highest of highs this season where the the Cowboys are scoring all these points. They're averaging all these points, yards, everything. But the lows are just so low. And if you met in the middle just a little bit more, came down on the highs maybe a little bit, uh, upgraded the lows, you would probably be moving on in the playoffs. You would be scoring more points in this situation. And listen, they kept it so close on Sunday that it was within a touchdown to tie. Like against the 49ers who have been a great team, if not the number one team in the NFC all season, I'll say that because I hate Philadelphia. Um, But like, that's something that was an impossible thing to imagine. Everybody was saying 30 points, you know, between both teams, 20 points, 27, it was 19 to 12. Like that's crazy. So if they just were just a little bit better, if the lows were a little bit higher, this team would be moving on in the playoffs. And I look at that as saying, because the lows, we've seen a lot of them as of recent, we've seen a lot of highs too, but the highs almost come as like empty calories, right? Like the, the um, week 18 last season in Philadelphia, you know, down the stretch against the Washington commanders last season, you know, it's like, you know, these teams are bad. You're beating up on bad teams. What are you doing against good teams? They had a great game against the Philadelphia Eagles the second time around, you know, where they were scoring a lot of points on a great defense, but what else are you doing? And I, I love Kellen Moore. I've already talked about that, you know, on other podcasts, but I just think now you just need to hit the reset button, you know, kind of give Dak just a little bit more of a mental reset. I think if he was in the same system doing the same things, maybe it doesn't help his development to move on. I think if you give him a new kind of like young guy or maybe like somebody who, even if it's like a Dan Quinn hire where it's an ex head coach and they want to be a coordinator again to build up their stock in Dallas, like that's great for them. Like a Frank Reich, somebody who is a great coordinator, um, maybe not as great as a head coach, but he's an established play caller and he's really good at his job. He just happened to work for a terrible organization. Um, you know, so I, I look at somebody like that, you bring him in, maybe it helps stack with his mistakes and maybe he grows as a quarterback. Um, so, I mean, this is really going to be the most interesting offseason, I think, for Cowboys just in general because is the window – this is very reminiscent of what it was for the Buccaneers off of their Super Bowl season and even this entering this season. I think the Cowboys and the Bucks have always been very parallel. Are you going to bring your guys back and run the table again with everybody, you know, coordinators, players, all that? Or are you going to just open up another brand new window and say, well, we have a veteran quarterback that we're not really sure of. This is an evaluation year. Dak might be gone after 2023. Zeke's gone. All the old guys are gone. And it, we're just doing a full reset with youth, you know, on our side. I have no idea which way they're going. I think free agency will tell a lot. The draft will tell a lot. And then we're going to be right back at it again in September, you know, talking about the Cowboys, uh, even in Oxnard and training camp, you know, talking about, you know, what we're seeing. And it, it does suck when, when the season ends because I think a lot of us saw what the season could be. And the fact that, that it wasn't, it hurts. But like you mentioned at the top, Jess, it is our job to talk about it almost as like a mini therapy session. You know, we move on, we move forward and we ride or die with the Cowboys no matter what. Yeah, I don't know about you, but I feel better. I feel better already. Yeah. Oh, I've talked yeah. about it three times. <laughs> I, I feel pretty cleansed <laughs> of this loss uh, as much as I can. But 
yeah, six months, a very long six months ahead. And it, it almost gets longer when football season overall is, is over. So post Super Bowl, it just feels so, so quiet. I mean, I, I'm just a Cowboys fan and uh, a football fan in general. So for me, when it's off season, it is off season. I know there's other sports. I know I work in hockey. It just, it's not the same to me. It will never be the same. It's just like, all right. And, and after this season being the first season that, you know, we've been lucky enough to do this podcast and work with vlogging the boys and, and everything else. I mean, it's, it's going to be a nice little mental reset for me personally. I need it. I need a little mental reset um, to, to take some space away from all things Cowboys, but not a full turning off. I, I'm like very excited about the fact that we still get to do this in increments, but it's sad. It's sad. So everyone can be sad, but be a rational sad. Don't be, don't be like a crazy throw on your TV kind of sad. That's what I don't understand. Well, and this was our rookie season, right? Your rookie season at the Mothership at DallasCowboys.com with Girls Talk, Boys Talk, our rookie season with this podcast. And I know we mentioned it last night on the Twitter space of how grateful we are for all the listeners that were tuning into the podcast, all the followers that we had, you know, grow within our platform and also personally on Twitter and everything, reading our content specifically for me and tuning into to Girls Talk, Boys Talk, I think both of us are leaving this regular season feeling very grateful for the opportunity. And uh, I think this, the sky's the limit for the future for, for us and whatever we do with, with this podcast and anything else. And I think looking at that and keeping that in front of mind, it makes you feel a little bit more positive about things. And um, but yeah, like I said, just thanking the listeners and everything, and we're still going to continue. I mean, we're hopefully we're going to have an episode next week, uh, ranking the final top 10 list. Maybe we'll have a special guest on as well. Um, talking about the Cowboys season as a whole, um, and how we look at it moving forward. But, uh, like I said, first and foremost, all the listeners and all you guys that tuned in to the writer's block, we sincerely appreciate. I know Jess says the same thing too. Yeah, 100%. We appreciate all the love, all the support, all the hate, all the trolls. We love you guys, too, because there's just so much love to go around uh, for all of it. But no, really, we appreciate it. And even just a shout out to RJ for allowing us to even start this yes. podcast, yep. because we we wouldn't have had that without him. So big shout out to RJ for being the incredible leader that he is. I mean, I gas RJ up all the time because it's so well-deserved. I've just never worked for somebody who is such an incredible boss. I mean, I, I'm glad the topic of bosses and healthy work environments is, is so prevalent now because you look at somebody like RJ and he prioritizes that kind of environment and that kind of conversation. So I just can't say enough of good things about RJ. And, you know, when you even look at the storyline of how this podcast came to be with Brandon and I co-hosting, it's it's pretty awesome when, when you think about it. Side note, yes, we're not ending this podcast. And the daily will not end either. That'll be on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday now. So, again, we get a little bit of a break, Brandon, of, of talking about Cowboys all day, every day over here. But uh, in the meantime, with my new found free time, I'm going to spend some time with my dogs, giving them a lot of love that they didn't get uh, during the season because mom's just working and talking about the Cowboys. But they're going to explore some new dog parks and uh, maybe some new cool doggy things around the DFW area. So there's oh, that. We love that for you and for them. <laughs> That's awesome. So like I said, uh, thank you guys for tuning in to the latest edition of the writer's block and we will talk to you next week.
Support for this podcast comes from Planned Parenthood. It's hard to imagine a world where we leave future generations with fewer rights and freedoms. Since the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills aimed at blocking people from getting the essential sexual and reproductive care they need, including abortion. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves access to care. And with supporters like you, they can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit plannedparenthood.org slash future to learn more and support their cause.